Hello and welcome everyone to VoIP for Independent Telecoms, the podcast for local service providers who want to provide great services on a resilient network. I'm your host, Andrew Ward from Award Consulting, and I'm joined today by Greg Bloomstein, founder and CEO of True CNAM. Welcome, Greg. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you. I think it's great that uh, you can join us, and I'm sure our listeners will agree, because you are an expert in one of the um, most asked questions in the industry today, which is this. Why are my calls getting marked as spam, and what can I do about it? But uh, don't answer yet, because we will get into that and learn a lot more about that topic. But before we do that, I'd actually like to start by understanding a bit more about your background and how you got into telecoms in the first place. Sure. That's a tough question. I started in telecom, I think back in 1999, and I had no previous experience with telecom other than I worked on a bulletin board system, if anybody remembers that, when I was a teenager. And I started working for a telecom company. I had an IT background, and they basically were doing sort of gray market VSAT stuff into countries outside the US or in lower income countries. So I was working there for, I don't know, two, three weeks or so. And they said, do you have a passport? I said, yes. And then they sent me, okay, you're going, I think it was Peru, if I remember correctly, the first time. You're going to Peru and you're going to set up a VSAT station there and a, and a multiplexer and we're going to mux calls into Lima, Peru. And Did you know so, how to do any of those things? Because I remember no, being not, sent on trips like this where I had no clue what I was doing. No, not really. I mean, I, I had about two weeks of just understanding what the different components of the technology was, how they sort of put together some very basics of compression of voice and stuff like that. And yeah, and then, yeah, they walked me through it sort of on the phone <laughs> down there. That, uh, that sounds like a, like a fun start. And so... You know, from there, somehow you decided, uh, I think about maybe seven, eight years ago, you decided to, you know, found, found this company, uh, True CNAM. What led to that? Well, so I've been in, you know, telecom space since 1999, as I mentioned. I've been in wholesale telecom, retail. Prior to this, I was the vice president of operations at a company called Callcentric, which is somewhat known in the industry providing which services. And, you know, when I, you know, one of the things that we saw, in, in my background, there's a ton of fraud. I mean, everyone knows there's a ton of fraud in the telecom industry in general, in all aspects of it. And one of the things at the time, I, I started and worked at that company for many years and sort of I was running out of steam and energy to keep doing it. So I wanted to do something different. I didn't really know what that was. I left and started thinking about what that thing was. And I started to think that there's you know, really an opportunity to address sort of three aspects that are needed in the industry. Sure, CNAM comes from obviously CNAM, caller name. So there's a lot of problems with CNAM that still are in who can update it, the you know the quality of the data, you know, caching, fraud related to it, etc. And then interrelated with that, there's caller there's a caller spoofing problem, which obviously has started to be addressed by Stern Shaken recently. And then third, there's the robocalling sort of like, uh, you know telemarketing, robocalling spam issue, fraud issue. And all those three issues are sort of interrelated. So when we started in 2014, we actually built a platform that was sort of designed to address those three issues. You know, storing CNAM data and and updating it, trying to address the quality spoofing issue was something we developed in-house and we could get no one interested in the industry. And the third issue was providing reputation data for numbers, which when we sort of soft launched the service in 2015, that is really when the FCC was just getting into going after this issue. And so, you know, that's, we sort of hit the market at the exact right moment and we found that no one was interested in the first two issues or they were interested, but they weren't interested in what we were doing. And they, but they were very interested in reputation. So that's sort of how we 
built it and what we were trying to address. And we just happened to thankfully hit the market at exactly the right moment. Excellent. That's uh, yeah, very fortuitous. I think a lot of startups uh, complained that they had the right idea, but they were too early or too late. Mm-hmm. And uh, you seem to have uh, got that Goldilocks timing, which is fantastic. I think it's worth taking a moment to kind of talk about where this fits into the the architecture of solving the problem. Because um, you know, a lot of most of the talk in the industry is about stir and shaken, and it's very easy for people to kind of get confused about what stir and shaken does and forget that. You know, stir and shaken doesn't actually do anything to stop robocalls. It's right. a necessary kind of prerequisite to help in the stopping of robocalls, but all it's doing is helping to solve the caller ID spoofing problem by certifying that some caller IDs are accurate. And yeah, so so that's helpful, but it's not the whole picture. So for somebody who's actually trying to stop robocalls, what are the other pieces as well as stir and shaken that they need in the mix to uh, successfully do that? Well, I mean, I can tell you what we do, and I think what we do is pretty similar to what the vast majority of the industry is doing. So obviously we look at, you know, live traffic flows, meaning traffic on the PSTN sample of that, and look at, you know, call volume, velocity, those sorts of things, metrics. We're using a lot of other aspects in addition to that. We're using, for example, in-network captions, which allow us to, you know, press one if to connect your call and you know, live real-time data on that. So that sort of helps indicate if it's a human making a call or an automated system. We use honeypots. We operate a very large honeypot network, which are telephone numbers that are, you know, routable and in service, but they're not attached to a subscriber. And we receive, you know, real-time data on that. We also record calls in some cases to see what the content of a call is. And then beyond that, we've used, you know, historical data in the past. So we use, when we started out, we work with carrier partners to basically get a data set that contained more than 10 years worth of CDR data, sort of train an algorithm. And then we also use like things like end user feedback and per user whitelist and uh, whitelist and blacklist, but those are sort of non-real-time sort of situations, uh, helpful tools. Um, and then we also use government data, which some of which is publicly available, some of which is private. And we have a bunch of other proprietary methods, which we don't get into. But at the, at the most basic level, if you're making a lot of calls, you're already sort of suspicious, right? So if you're a high value caller, you're already on target of, do we want to look, do we think you're, what you're doing is right or wrong? And so that's, you know, that's the first sort of thing that we catch. There are a lot of other metrics that flow into that that sort of indicate whether these calls are wanted or unwanted, whether you're using good data or bad data. So for example, if you call on honeypots, you're probably not using particularly good data. You're just calling lots of different people, not looking in your list, or you're just rating up dialer numbers. And so that's really how we start to look at the problem. We, you know, there is an issue, obviously, with false flagging in the industry that does happen. It's not as common as people like to certainly think, believe that it happens. And you have to remember when you're the when the originating caller, we're looking at this from two different sides. There's the originating caller who's making the calls, which may be legal or not legal, depending on who they are, and wanted and unwanted, depending on who they are. So they could be legal, but still completely unwanted. We tend to look at, since we're providing reputation data for people who are receiving calls and don't want to receive unwanted calls, we have to figure out, are these calls, forget about whether they're legal or not, we have to figure out whether people want these calls. Or not. And that's not actually as hard to figure out as one would think. I thought it would be when I started, but it really turns out not to be that difficult. And so that's what we really look at, which is sort of a problem for a lot of high-value callers that may be doing something completely legitimate. A lot of times their calls are unwanted regardless of the fact that they're legal. Interesting. So so you take all of that, all those you know, algorithms and methods and those data, that those data, and you combine that into a, a score, a reputation score for a in, you know, in real time of a call that's coming in. And then is it your software or is it then a third-party tool that would then 
take that score and decide to do something with it? Or what kind so, of things might they do? Right. So we, we provide just the data, an API and the data. There are different integrations depending on so some people have integrated directly into our API and they just make a decision. Some people were, were integrated in some platforms. For example, we're the first to be integrated into a major SBC platform with Metaswitch. We're also integrated into uh, TransNexus's products and we're available, for example, through Twilio as another example. And so some people do it themselves, some, some through platform. And what they do with the data is a variety of different things. So if it's a, you know, a residential user receiving the call, the carrier might have the option, for example, to divert high value calls to voicemail, for example, so that it doesn't read the user's phone. If it's an office, they might do the same thing. If it's a call center, we have call centers that use our product, for example, on an, inter- in an enterprise setting, they will, in some cases, use it in a different way. They'll, they'll have, for example, very expensive uh, IVR systems that do voice analysis on a per-channel basis and high, high costs on a per-channel basis. Sometimes they'll shunt calls off to a cheaper system, which actually end up actually working sort of like captions uh, when they get you know, a high spam score. Or if they have live uh, agents answering calls, they'll actually not have a live answer, uh, agent answer the calls and instead shunt it through some other system first before they waste the time of a live agent answering a robocall. So different people do different things. Some divert the calls in a different place. Some send them to voicemail. Occasionally, people do block them. That's not something we tend to recommend. We tend to say, you know, worst case scenario, send to a voicemail. Um, so that if it's, a, you know, the inadvertent, which is very uncommon, false positive, it goes somewhere and a human will actually, you know, leave a message. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it's, I'm guessing the king things, I mean, it's obviously not your responsibility to decide what the carrier does, but you mentioned before the distinction between a call that is illegal versus a call that is unwanted. I'm guessing, you know, it's probably required for the carriers to deliver illegal calls, even if they're unwanted, or there's maybe some, no, some complexity no. there. What's what, how do how do they, what options do they have if a call is unwanted, but strictly speaking legal? Well, it's not really, I, to my knowledge, there's never been any specific thing that's broken it out that clearly. There has been the, the requirement from the FCC that if there is automatically, you know, if you originally started out, you had to opt in to the system. And they said, okay, you could turn it on for everybody, but you have to have an opt out method and you have to do reasonable, take reasonable steps to make sure you're not blocking reasonable calls. They didn't say legal calls. They said, you know, uh, that I, I can go back and review the language, but I don't think it said legal calls. Okay. interesting. Um, so most people, there really has never been a question and I think it's going to get tested eventually, but we're basically making an editorial decision where we say, this is something people want or people don't want. And that will include large charities, for example, very reputable charities make lots and lots of calls. And it's very hard to get off their list. Those calls are legal, but most people don't want their calls. Interesting. Yeah, so that, that's really good to understand. Yeah, your reputation is mostly about whether or not people want the calls, not about whether they are legal or not. So I, I have a you know question. I think, I don't know how often this happens, but it's certainly a, a feasible thing. So if I've certainly had cases where somebody called me and said, hey, you just called me. And I'm like, well, no, I didn't, right? And I mm-hmm. assume that that happened because somebody spoofed a call using my phone number, right? right. So clearly spoofers do that, otherwise Stershaken wouldn't need to, be, to exist. Is it the case that if somebody does a bunch of spoof calls using my phone number, that my phone number is tainted forever and will always be marked as spam? No, I mean, I can't imagine anyone reputable in our section of the industry is doing static white and blacklists. So all of our data ages out. It, it immediately, as soon as we generate a score, it has a VEG sent to it or a TTL, basically, with time to live. And depending on the number of factors, the TTL could be literally hours to 
weeks, perhaps months, in some cases, if we have years and years worth of negative data. But no, there's no static uh, way where if somebody spoofs you, it's going to stay that way forever. The, the pattern has to continue. The negative data has to continue for that to happen. I would be shocked if there's someone doing this that just decides, oh, that number's bad, and then they blacklist forever. Okay. All right. So that's, that's good to know. So I think the key question, which I mentioned at the beginning, for that a lot of you know, carriers are getting from their customers. So an originating carrier is getting a customer calling up saying, hey, our calls are getting marked as spam. And we don't think we're doing anything wrong, but our calls are getting marked as spam and people aren't answering them. And you know, so-and-so told me this happened. What should a carrier do if they get, if one of their customers makes that complaint to them? Well, so first of all, they should know what their customer's doing, because it's likely in a lot of cases that they're doing something, they're at least a high volume caller. It's pretty rare for them not to at least already be a high volume caller for that to happen. The That's the first thing. So they should know their customer. And I think that going forward, it's been pretty clear going on for the last few years, both publicly and privately, that government agencies like the FCC and the FTC, and frankly, the DOJ as well, are going to take carriers, take have carriers take a lot more responsibility for knowing who their customers are, knowing what kind of traffic they have, that kind of thing, and not turning such a blind to it as I think was the case in the industry for decades. So that's that's one. Two is the they should, you know, look and see where where the call's going to that they're complaining about. If it's to a specific network or one specific network, then it's pretty easy to Google around and figure out which reputation database is supplying data to that network. Everyone in the industry has a contact method and an ability to say, hey, this is my number. It's been flagged. What do I do to either talk to talk to you about it? If what they're doing is completely legitimate and there's no reason for it, we, you know, we get pretty regularly large healthcare agencies um, that do actual calling to notify things like you know prescriptions, doctor's appointments and things like that. Most of the time their numbers are not flagged, but they pre-register the cell on cases when they're using the numbers. So they'll reach out even when they have been and we'll review what they've done, what they're doing and the background of the company and things like that. And we will register their numbers, which is certain whitelist in quotes. There's no such thing as a whitelist. You sort of, we analyze a behavior and sort of look at what it is and if it doesn't change, it'll probably stay that way. So those are the types of things they could do. There's also a number of companies in the industry, which again, Google around that are starting to provide data either directly. So we, we provide to enterprise customers, they query our data to see if their numbers have shown up. We can, in some cases, push data to them. There are other companies that are sort of reselling data from a bunch of different reputation providers. So they're taking our data and some of our competitors. They're querying our data on a regular basis, several times a day or once a day to say, you know, is this number or this group of numbers being flagged on any of the reputation providers? And then in some cases, they're just providing that information back to the enterprise and say, here, this is what the story is. You go can go contact these companies about how to fix that. Or in some cases, they're working directly with us to try and vent those numbers out and amongst the industry. And so there's at least two or three companies that are doing that across a bunch of different reputation providers. Okay. All right. How fragmented is the industry? Because it sounds like, it, you know, so if, if I'm saying, if I'm, if my call's being, you know, flagged as spam, that's happening at the terminating service provider who's using a reputation database that's you know, you think I should be able to find if I do enough digging on the internet to find out who they mm-hmm. are. But obviously, if there were a hundred different reputation databases, then it becomes right. a big overhead to to try to find those and to update them all. It sounds like it's maybe more of an oligarchy, should we say, a, yeah. a small number? I mean, I would say serious large ones, there's like six of us maybe. 
Okay. Uh, maybe seven. And so it's not that many. I mean, when there's a couple of big ones and, and that's it. There are some small companies that I run into every once in a while when I'm in, you know, in this industry. I, like, I've never heard of these guys. And they do provide data to some smaller carriers, but they don't have a large customer base from anything I can tell or I think either competitors can tell. Um, so it's really not that hard to figure out who we all are. And yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So I want to go back to the idea of a reputation score. It's tempting to think of this as kind of a black and white thing, like you are flagged as spam, you are not flagged as spam. But actually, you know, my understanding is you have this true spam score and it's kind of, it's a number, right? It's a range of number between one and a hundred or something like that. Is that correct? That's right. true. So, so you could be suspicious-ish, but not like really bad. Right. So we, we have a score from zero to 100. Most of our competitors have something similar to that. They have some sort of scoring system. We define specific ranges. So we define a low value, a medium value, and a high value. And different people use those things in different ways. Some people ignore everything except for the high value. Some people use the medium value in a slightly different way than they use the high value. And yeah, I mean, the score can go up or down over time, depending on a lot of different factors. And it's not black and white. So we, the only time it's black and white sort of, is when I would say the vast majority of our customers do something at the high level. So they either divert the call or they block the call. Few, to my knowledge, block the call. Most divert it to voicemail or to something else, like caption of some sort, a IVR system, something, where a human can get through if they actually want to. So yeah, it's not it's not exactly a black and white situation. You're blocked, you're not blocked. Yep. So if somebody is having a problem, and it sounds like there's a there is a tough situation here where you might be a business who is doing outbound calling for legitimate reasons, or well, well, I say legitimate reasons. You might be doing outbound calling for legal reasons, right? I mean, it's, right. you intentionally want to grow your business. You have a call center that is making outbound calls to try to grow your business in a way that's perfectly legal. It mm-hmm. may still be getting flagged as spam, which might just be the way it is, right? Because right. what you're doing is something that people don't want to receive. Right. So yeah, so you can you can imagine, I always give this example because I don't think I'm really offending street that are defended. So debt collectors, debt collectors, no one wants to receive their phone call, period. Whether you owe the money or you don't owe the money, think you owe the money, you don't think you owe the money. You just don't want to, I, I personally never got a call. It's actually for me because I never owed a debt, but I've gotten calls in the past for other people that were not me, but no one wants their calls. And that's been proven out through lots of metrics. And I don't think that's a surprise to the collection industry. So those guys, um, unfortunately, they may be doing something completely legal, but no one in, I, I can imagine in the industry is going to say, oh yeah, I know that this number is a debt collection number. It looks bad and we're going to just let the calls through anyhow. Yeah. So it's, so to an extent, it's possible that getting flagged as spam is just the way it's going to be for you if you're doing something that people don't want to receive. And that's just kind of the way it is. Yeah. yeah, I would say the same is true for most political organizations, honestly. So most political candidates, it's the same exact thing. We've done statistics on it. It's pretty black and white. It's like 80, 90% of people don't want the calls. Yep. Yep. Okay. If there's somebody who doesn't think they fall in that category, so they, they think that, yeah, we, we place some calls to customers, but you know we're not doing a crazy high volume or, you know, people want to hear our calls and this must be some kind of mistake. We want to get validated. We're a healthcare provider. We make a lot of calls, but legitimately for good reasons. So you mentioned, it sounds like it's possible with true CNAM to get access to do a query on their data and kind of see what, what view you have of their um, score. Is that possible? Or are there other sure. organizations I where mean, they can do that? Any, anyone who contacts us to our, just through our website and says, mm-hmm. this is my number. I think it's scored or I, I don't even know. I just, I want to check. 
we check it out. And most times within a few business hours, we'd give a response that's pretty detailed to say, this is what the score is right now. This is why it's roughly scored this way. This is any additional information we need from you, et cetera, to move forward. Okay, great. Are there any other um, industry resources that you'd recommend that maybe cover multiple providers? Um, I think there's a, like a free caller registry or something along those lines. I might have that name wrong that people can check out. There are, uh, none of them are vetted in any way, shape or form till, till now. There's some run by company. There's one or two run by com- groups of companies um, that are not open to the entire industry. U.S. Telecom has, I think, thought about doing something like that, but it hasn't happened to my knowledge. So no, there isn't one, unfortunately, one place tonight you can go. There, again, if you go, I don't want to name specific companies, sure. but if you Google around for, for quality reputation and trying to provide to clean up quality reputation, you'll find two or three uh, companies that are not providing reputation data that are working with the vendors to sort of do that. Okay. That makes sense. I know, so I, you know, I've got a Twilio account and I know that within Twilio, they've been doing something to kind of get information about your business, which I think they claim is going to somehow improve your reputation. Is that some of the data you were talking about where you kind of, you validate businesses to, they have some kind of, you know, reputation that improves their score if it's been vetted in some way? Um, so I, I don't want to get too deep into what Twilio is doing, sure. but Twilio, to, I mean, to my knowledge, you're doing two different things. They're doing one is related to store shaking, the other is related to 10 digit SMS delivery, which is, you know, a huge, massive change in the industry right now as well. This is probably more the store shaking side is what I was seeing. Right. So, so you know, store shaking, getting vetted for that, they're, they are doing something. That's mostly, I think, just to cover themselves. Uh, it's I, more I know I your customer. I yeah, it's, I don't think I know. I don't have any specific inside knowledge on that, but I, I think that that's probably, they're just trying to do the best that they can with that. And also, I don't think they really want that stuff on their network. It's not beneficial to them. Sure. So that's the first thing. In terms of what we collect, it's mostly, most of the time, if you're doing something legitimate, we just take a website. So if you have a website and we can look at what you're doing and we can analyze that versus what we see you doing, 80% of the time, that's enough. The rest of the time, we, we actually do some more stuff. We look up, you know, your background, pulled, you know, done a for information, stuff like that. It's really not as hard as people think. It's pretty, there's not a lot of gray area here. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good to know. So um, to summarize what I'm hearing, you know, again, from the originating side, people who are concerned about the reputation, it sounds like it should be possible to, you know, contact a data provider to, such as TrueCNAM, to find out, you know, what your score is and maybe get some information as to why without a huge amount of effort, you know, if you're doing something legitimate through providing a website or, you know, being validated on DMB, you might be able to kind of improve your reputation by getting some kind of evidence that, you know, you're a legitimate organization doing legitimate things. Um, And that's really the path people should be taking. And equally, if you are doing perfectly legal, but unwanted high volume calls, this is just kind of the new reality that these reputation scores are based on what consumers want. And if consumers don't want to hear from you, then your job just got harder. Correct. And I think their, their job was harder already because people stopped answering calls. Uh, people stopped answering calls and at least, you know, unless you're, I would say, elderly, most people just hung up on people they don't want to talk to. And so I think their, their job was already difficult. And I don't think it's dramatically changed. I think it's just another thing to do. And if they're already in that indus- those industries, they're probably, and they're doing high, relatively high volume calls. They probably know most of the people in the industry that can help them um, facilitate different things, improve their, improve their call, improve their the legality of what they're doing, make sure they're in compliance with everything. And this is just some other checkbox that they have to sort of deal with now. Yep. Okay. That's great. So you've, you've mentioned a few kind of, you know, big names on your customer list, but I, I was looking at it and there was one name that stood out and seemed like it might be a, a curious uh, 
curious example to finish with. There's a company called Jolly Roger Telephone Company. I'd sure. love to hear like, you know, who they are and what they're doing with your, with your data. Sure. Uh, they're always a great example. So they started out, the guy there basically built a, a bot in-house. And he wanted basically, I don't know what it's before, but basically what he did was his kid answered the phone one day and, you know, was talking to somebody and they cursed at the kid because they didn't put the right person on the phone right away. So he's a telephone guy. He built some sort of bot system where he could intercept a call with his own bot and have it talk to telemarketers. And so he built that. He got a lot of press about it. And I actually taught, reached out to him when he started doing this. And I said, you know, if you ever build something that's an actual service of this and you want to turn it into something, we have some reputation data we could give you and help you sort of identify which calls to intercept with your bots. And that's what they're doing. They're actually using our true spam scores to determine when to answer a phone call and attach their own bot to waste the time of a telemarketer. And it's a pretty amusing thing. They've gotten a ton of press over it. And um, yeah, we think what they're doing is very interesting. And that's, that's why we work with them. So they're basically an, an automated version of these people you see on YouTube who are like, oh, I, you know, I hack the hackers and this kind of thing. They're just, they're messing with Correct. them because it's entertaining, but it's all automated through bots. Yes, all automated. And just how much time can I keep this person on the phone and waste their time? That's, yep. that's the goal. For societal good. They're doing good work right. for society because it amuses them. I think we can... We can agree that that's, a, that's a, yeah, a good example and probably benefits us all. So it makes it a little bit less profitable for the robocallers to, to make the calls. Great. Well, um, Greg, I don't want to take a huge amount of your time. It's been great to um, have you on. Yeah, we've already mentioned your website. Um, so I think if, if people are wanting to, you know, to learn more um, about TrueCNAM, I'm guessing you know, TrueCNAM.com is the place to go. Is there anywhere else they should be looking to, to learn more? Nope, that's the best place to go. Look, we have a contact us form, obviously, there. And we obviously get back to everybody that gets in touch with us. We're always working, interested in working with carriers. We're interested in working with enterprises and even call originators to help them out. So we do have a service where we will help call originators out. We, in most cases, don't charge for it and to get people's numbers registered. So we're really looking for always to get data from anyone. So if someone wants to submit data to us, we're happy to work with them. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you, Greg, for uh, joining us today. And for those listening, um, if you enjoyed this episode, um, please be sure to subscribe um, and even leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google or wherever you're hearing this. And please join us again next time for the next episode of VoIP for Independent Telecoms. Thank you very much.